Three Pagans and a Cat is supported by Anchor and Fox Consulting. Anchor and Fox is a management team that supports spiritual specialists, co-creating sustainable models of community and reciprocity, helping us manage our time, money, spiritual, and emotional resources. Follow them on Twitter at Anchor Fox and on Facebook and Instagram at Anchor and Fox Consulting. For booking, you can contact Anchor and Fox at www.anchorandfoxconsulting.com. Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. It takes as much energy to wish as it does to plan. Welcome to First Steps Energy, the 51st episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of former First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meet. My name is Gwyn Ode's mother. And holy fuck, we're on episode 51. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, we missed episode 50 because officially because it was a uh, it was an interview. It was, it was right. an interview with Lady Dame. Yep. So here we are at episode number 51. Yep, that's right. Having so, crossed that threshold without noticing. Tra- tra- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we crossed the threshold of 50 mm-hmm. and yep. weren't even involved in it. Release yeah. the balloons. It happened spontaneously. It happened. Right. But Rana did say congratulations, so thank you. And we're going to, although our interview series from Convocation is finished, we're going to start uploading some of the interviews that we did at Michigan Pagan Fest. Mm-hmm. I'm going to edit some of those and upload those for a few more weeks. So yep. yeah. that, that'll be continuing for a little bit. Yeah. Before we go back to our usual by weekly schedule. Which I just want to say, because I figured this out earlier uh-huh. today, we are $183 away from being a weekly yeah. podcast. Yeah, Quinn Ann just said we're close to weekly, aren't we're we? Yeah. Yes, weekly. yes, and we are close to weekly. The weekly would not be what you're getting right now. No, which is the, the pre-recorded stuff. It would be uh, us live interviews. every week. Yeah, it would, it would be, be this, this every week. Every yeah. week. So that is, uh, if you guys want it, you gotta... Right, you know right. how to get it. You know yeah. how to get it. You know how to blackmail us into this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so should I cover who our patrons are currently? Yeah, yes. absolutely, because they're the whole reason that we do this anyway. Mm-hmm. So. We have 16 kittens. Wow. We love you, kittens. It's quite a few kittens. Yep. Cats, Amber, Amber D. D. Beehive Coven, Cindy Barrick, Gary Bearstorm, Jasmine Ray Bell, Megan Sokolow, Michelle Kukulak Burkett, Rebecca Hillman, Tanya Allen, and Zacchaeus. I think it's cool that we have a whole coven as a cat. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> cool. So thank you to all thank of you our to the cats. Beehive Coven. Yep. Yes. Our hunters are Ashley Brock, Brandon Summit, Briar Aldridge, Charles Howison, Delilah Darge, Darby Lockridge, Henry Wodehouse, James Smith, Jessica Helmer, Jessica Jones. Joe, Kay Kramer, Kimberly Lockaby, Laudine, Laura Loki, Lee Lynn, Leanne Stevis, Meredith Kenton, Mistina, Nadia Ratchford, Nicodemus Tibbetts, Ray Lothrop, Robin Archer, Rana, Sarah Bunder, Stevie Thompson, Susan Johnson, and Squeaky. Rana wanted it noted that her preferred name is Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that. Can't and also... Holy shit, we have so many hunters, hunters. We have, yeah, yeah. And we love you, Hunters, and we have such a good time talking to Yes, yeah, because hunters. hunters and Above are with us in the Discord server right now, yep. chit-chatting yep. and listening to our craziness. And making yep. us laugh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> our leopards are Akaneko and Elizabeth Mays. Yay, we love our leopards. our leopards. Our tigers are Amanda Hicks, Crystal from Apothecary Tees, Alora <laughs> Driver, Lorelai, Misha Lutz, and Rel. 
we love our tigers. 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 Thank you. <laughs> By the time we, there are so many of them now. Uh-huh, we have quite a few tears. I, I forget. Mm-hmm. Our panthers are QQN. Hey, QQN. And our jaguars are Justin Stanage, Kirsten Ray, and Bill L. And Yay! we love our Jaguars. Yes, we do. And thank you to all of our patrons, because you know we love you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Every single one of you. Yeah, you all make all of this worth it. Yeah, yep. you really I, do. We'd still probably record we'd if there was nobody would. around. Probably, but we'd, we'd do it very differently. Yes. Yeah, it would be very different. It would be less structured. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have the segments, because y'all came up with those. That's yeah. right. And we love all of our listeners. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate everybody's feedback, and we've gotten some really neat emails over mm-hmm. the last year and a half. We like going to festivals, and occasionally someone will come up and be brave enough to, to greet us, which is always great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That is so cool. And, and we're always like, it is so cool to meet you. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it's very exciting for us. To get to meet you guys. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We've actually had a lot of fun meeting mm-hmm. our listeners. Mm-hmm. It's fun to attach, you know, faces and voices and really real physical personhoods yeah. to. And even like the random people who we don't like have any real interaction right. with us mm-hmm. who come up and go, oh my gosh, I listen to you guys every time you're on and I can't believe that I'm that actually getting to meet you. And uh-huh. We're like, we're just normal <laughs> we're people. Just normal like, people. <laughs> we're, we're glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> right. And if you were a hunter or above, you'd know we're right. just normal people because this is where we fuck everything you up. You get to hear yeah. all the unedited that's shit that I fix up in post. <laughs> that's right. But we do Squeaky have fun Squeaky says, people. and that's what's so great about you guys, how you guys have embraced this community that's built up. This Aww. community, like, you all created yourselves. You really right. have. You have created yourselves and we love interacting with you we love seeing how you interact Mm -hmm. we love seeing how you help each other it's great yeah it's It's really really great i love the pride okay uh do we have anything else we need to do in housekeeping Uh, terms yes probably probably um i have some notes here okay we are starting at arts and craft Mm -hmm. that's right a pagans in need which is a food pantry yep by pagans for everyone yes so if you live in the southwest michigan area and you're in need of food, you can find us on Facebook. You can find Pagans in Need on Facebook. Mm-hmm. There's actually a Pagans in Need Southwest chapter on Facebook now. Yep. Because um, these are two separate things. Two separate or uh, yeah, organizations. Yeah, two yes. separate organizations. We just happen to be helping run the yep. Pagans in Need that's here yeah. in our area. And it'll be at Arts and Craft which mm-hmm. is the, the uh, Pagan, Pagan and store. Witchcraft store. Right. Run by our good friends Pat and Paul. Yep. yep. Yeah, I think that's So it. there's, there's we'll, put a, we'll put a post, we'll put a post up, up with more information. Yep. It's going to be every it's going to be every Saturday. other Saturday. Yep. yep. Yeah. So on the, at this point, the off weeks of our recording. Right. That's right. On the weeks when we are not recording, we're going to be running the food pantry. So. Yep. And then we should probably talk about our upcoming speaking engagement, right? Oh, yeah. August 3rd, we will be at Detroit Pagan Pride, teaching um, speaking with symbols and monikers and metaphorical spaces mm-hmm. there, kind of back to back. Yep. In the same tent. Yeah. So if you want to nice. go to both, you can just hang out. Just <laughs> So, yeah, if you're going to be in, in Detroit on August 3rd, mm-hmm. come yeah. to the Detroit Pagan Pride. Can I make the other announcement? You can. Yes. All right. So, we will be teaching monikers and metaphorical spaces at Pagan Fires, which is September 26th through the 29th, down near Cincinnati, Ohio, mm-hmm. is where it's held. And so, if you're in that area and you're interested, you can find out more information about that at sabatentertainment.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's run by Storm Fairy Wolf, uh, Storm Fairy Wolf and Devin, Devin Hunter, Hunter and, and Chaz. Chaz. Yeah. Yep. So I renamed this episode late to First Steps Energy because we're going to be covering 
clearing or cleansing, charging, consecrating, and tuning or programming. Mm-hmm. And if we could have come up with a C. Right. I could have called these the four C's, but I, there's just not a good C word for car that. Car is all about the alliteration. Uh, not so just car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a car and Car and Ode are both very about alliteration. But because I couldn't come up with a C word for tuning and programming... I, I couldn't do it, so I had to rename the episode late. So okay. it's called energy because all of these things deal with the manipulation of, of energy. energy. And we were specifically asked to cover some of these topics because, again, the First Steps program is mm-hmm. about trying to explicate concepts that are assumed knowledge in the pagan world. Mm-hmm. These are all concepts that are often assumed knowledge or are explained in, like, a sentence at the beginning of a spell, but not, right. like, and no right. detail or theory has ever gone into. Or And so people are left to kind of go, oh, Okay, mm-hmm. and kind of figure it out on their own. So we want to kind of try to maybe demystify it a little bit yes. and give a little bit more explanation. The quest yep. to demystify continues. Yes. <laughs> There's sort of a logical order of progression here, so we're probably going to start with clearing and cleansing. Clearing and cleansing. And the reason for clearing and cleansing. Mm-hmm. What you might want to do it to and how you might go about doing it. That's right. So, so to start, I will say the... The reason I would clear or cleanse an object or a space Mm -hmm. or anything like that is because things around us, places that we're in, they can collect energy Mm -hmm. or they can absorb energy. And if you're talking about an object, you can get energy on it from the person who's created it, obviously. Mm -hmm. And if that's a magical person, like, for instance, Paul, you might want to save that energy. But people touch his the stuff he's made, the right, and ones, people they pick them up, pick them and up and feel them. So their residual energy gets on that mm-hmm. that object, or where it, if it's stored in a warehouse or mm-hmm. in a store or anything like that. If you want, and it's not it's not even a requirement. I've read in yeah, some places this is a personal choice because there are some practitioners who believe your own energy as you use a thing cleanses and charges and does all mm-hmm. that stuff. But if you want to cleanse an object, the reason is because it may have residual energy on it and you want to start out from a place of purity with this object. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a question here? You may. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Paul creates a wand. Mm-hmm. Right. A bunch of people touch it in the store. Right. And then you purchase it. Mm-hmm. Right. Can you get rid of everybody's energy other than Paul's? That's what I would do. Yes. Okay. I would mm-hmm. say, so there's a difference to the way that an object gets kind of sticky mm-hmm. with just residual Residual energy. sort of like, the like energy dust. of the atmosphere. Right, like dust. Like dust. And the energy that Paul puts into a wand when he's creating it, which is sort of baked into the product. Yes, yeah, inherent right. in the now object. Now, it, it is possible to cleanse too much or too deeply and mm-hmm. to accidentally sort of scour out right. uh, the intentional energy or the spirit of a thing. Mm-hmm. If you are careful with your cleansing, if you mm-hmm. are judicious with, with your application of cleansing, if you don't go overboard and get overzealous with it, mm-hmm. you can just sort of dust your object or your space instead of, like, cleansing fire, yeah. okay. scour down to the bone so you just your object or space. Slough off the, the energy that mm-hmm. is collected, like the dust on something, but it still has that initial energy... Paul would have put right. into it. Because Paul intentionally something. imbued it with energy. Right. People who picked it up, yeah, they just left behind dead skin cell energy, essentially. Yeah, like, basically. Gotcha. So you're just kind of dusting that off. Well, on. I know that people pick them up and hold them and try mm-hmm. to feel... Right, and try to sense... Sense yeah. whether it's the right mm-hmm. exactly. one for them or the right athame for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So my question would be, while they're doing that sensing... 
they're also sticking some of their stuff into it. Exactly. Trying to that's figure what, it that's out. what, yeah, exactly. exactly. And this is something that I don't know is fully understood by a lot of people. And there's a, probably multiple schools of thought on this. So like, because I'm an animist, I think there's not only an energy in those wands. I think there's a little growing a little spirit, spirit in that wand, right? From the wood itself. From the wood and from the creation the process. Creation the object, yeah. uh, a spirit grows in that object. Right. It is the spirit of that thing. Right. It takes a piece from the tree it was originally mm -hmm. taken from and from Paul's the energy that he imbues with and it creates. and from the other any other correspondences he uses in its creation. It takes pieces yeah. of energy from all those things and they sort of fuse together into a new whole spirit, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And for me, picking up and assessing like is this the one for me or when I pick up a stone and I like try to get a get a sense on it, what I'm doing, I don't think of it in, as as energy work the way I know that like Gwyn thinks of energy. Mm -hmm. I think of it as spiritual communication. So I'm extending my spirit a little bit into mm -hmm. interpenetrating right. with that object, trying to connect to that spirit of that object and see if we can communicate. If we can't, then I pull back, but I do probably leave residual of okay. bits of spirit so behind. Here's another question then. Mm -hmm. So you go into a store, you mm -hmm. pick up a wand or an athame or whatever. Uh huh. And multiple people have picked it up before you. Mm -hmm. do, do you do like a mini cleanse at that point so that that's, you're only talking to the spirit of the wand and not the other crap that's on it? That I or think is where people who believe that your own energy cleanses or, or whatever imbues an object with your own energy is what cleans it off. That position seems to be that your energy sort of overwhelms, overrides. The, yeah, right. Anybody over else's time. Energy. But if you're just but checking if you're just it checking out, it, right. yeah. No, I would say you don't have to, because again, you're looking for the spirit of that thing. Mm -hmm. And I actually do very little cleansing in my work. And part of the reason I do very little cleansing in my mm -hmm. work is because, so like a newly forged athame mm -hmm. has the very beginnings of a spirit and it's going to grow into that spirit over time, right? right. As it, as it experiences more. Right. Like, like children do. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I would say every person who picks up that athame and senses its energy, mm -hmm. pushes a little bit of their spirit into it to see uh -oh. if they get a response, and then leaves a little bit of themselves behind, mm -hmm. you know, like dead skin cells, disconnected. Right. Yep. I think that gets incorporated into, into the, spirit the spirit of the athame. And okay. so, and it grows a little bit and changes and evolves and so becomes it just, more. It just makes me wonder, though, like for a wand or an athame that sits around for a while. Mm -hmm. Been mm -hmm. there a year or yes. more. Mm -hmm. How many people have uh, imbued into it? Quite a bit, and and have uh, maybe even unintentionally empowered it. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. I would think it would be, and I don't do this because mm -hmm. I don't really right. Deal you don't with, you don't do magic, right? Or any I don't of that really kind of do stuff. magic, but how I would think making a connection at that point would mm -hmm. be more difficult because all of this other stuff is incorporated in. I think it's a question of whether you think that the spirit of those other things the residual spirit left behind is clutter mm -hmm. or, or whether you think it's absorbed. For my own personal belief about energy and spirit, when I am holding a crystal or a wand or whatever, I have a slightly different opinion mm -hmm. than Ode does. I'm sensing the, the spirit of the material as well as in addition to it, the, the craftsmanship, let's say of Paul's wands or athames. Mm -hmm. I'm sensing his craftsmanship, his energy around that material. But I, when I'm holding something, I'm sensing the energy of the object that it was originally made from. 
Okay. And that's the energy or the spirit that I am sensing. So, so you're I, connecting to a tree spirit. Yeah. I'm connecting to a tree spirit. Not a wand or, spirit. Exactly. And so I'm cor- connecting to whatever that spirit is of the original material, the main material of that object. So I can kind of go around, if so you will. So then the craftsmanship doesn't matter. No, it does matter to me because I still sense the craftsmanship, the energy, the intention that's been put into that object. So I know what the power that that is surrounding that original object, imbuing it with whatever energy. But then, yes, I do sometimes sense, you know, other people's handling of it and that kind of thing. Do I do a lot of cleansing? I don't. I'm like, oh, I don't do a lot of cleansing of my objects and things like that. I'm I'm probably more along the lines of, unless I feel it has a heavy negative energy about mm-hmm. it, unless I feel like something is attached to it that would not be useful to me or to my work, um, I pretty much just allow it to be what it is. And my own intention ultimately imbues and alters and changes and then it becomes an and it becomes an ally but that's that spirit that i'm connecting to like a tree spirit or the spirit of the stone or whatever that is what becomes my ally so you go further back into the web essentially. yes i go further into the web interesting ray said i always think the difference, the difference between wiping a table clean versus stripping the varnish off which i yeah. thought that was a really For good cleansing appropriately cleansing. versus over cleansing right. yeah 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 and there are times when I will pick something up. This happens especially when I'm looking at antiques mm-hmm. or somebody has given me something that belonged to someone else because I feel that residual energy. And a lot of times that's when I feel like I need to cleanse an object. I don't use a lot of tools in my work. Mm-hmm. So I connect to the spirit of the item itself. You connect mm-hmm. to the spirit of the tree the one right. was cut from. Right. That's an interesting distinction to me. Mm. Things that would need to be cleansed, charts, consecrated, tuned would be like books of shadows, ritual tools divination stuff is that pretty much it yeah, yeah. well and rooms people will rooms. cleanse rooms or houses the okay. location yeah yeah okay. exactly yeah like your, uh, like your we home. cleanse the house every now and again just to sort of mm-hmm. get out any residual sort of bad feelings mm-hmm. must be when i'm at work yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but like a sacred space if we're like our altar room is a sacred space it's maintained as a sacred space mm-hmm. i don't feel like i have to cast a circle every time i work in right there. it's just an because established, it is sacred, an established space, yeah. sacred space no i really don't cleanse that min- that much okay. of many of my tools i so, will no. do what you might consider a very basic cleansing with my tarot cards hmm, if yeah. they get stuck on a question yeah I do or that. if they get stuck on a particular person's energy this happens especially if i'm doing a bunch of readings in a row for different people mm-hmm. like at an event occasionally you'll get the impression, I Mm -hmm. guess. I don't know how to describe this. You'll, the cards will express that they're stuck on a person's Mm -hmm. energy or that they're still focused on that person's question and that they aren't ready to move on. Mm -hmm. And if that person is already gone, there's no use in the cards still being stuck in the deck, still being stuck on that person's energy or their spirit or their question. I click it off. Yeah. I'll do a little like tap Mm -hmm. to the, to the deck to Mm -hmm. sort of cue them. And I think, I think of that as like, tapping the extra energy that whatever residual spirit is left in the in the deck from that person off of the deck Mm -hmm. but it also serves just to just to cue the deck that it's time to move on yeah because you know in my opinion in my tradition the deck is a spirit of its own yeah so i would i would say that i do cleanse the deck and i i get rid of that in residual energy of the person that i've been reading for rana says i do that with my husband little tap to get his attention back to me (laughs) rana don't think it would be little tap (laughs) Um, Smack upside the head. So what are some different ways to cleanse To do cleansing. There are, I I know, like, sage is a Mm -hmm. big one. So there are different things you can use to cleanse, and Mm -hmm. they cleanse in different ways. Okay. Salt 
is uh, cleansing, and it's usually you bury something in salt. You okay. can, in the same way, bury something in the earth or in cornmeal mm-hmm. or something like that. Anything like that. And the idea with that is that the thing that is being buried in, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you bury a stone in salt or in the earth or in cornmeal or whatever, the mm-hmm. salt absorbs The salt it. is absorbing the, the negativity or the bad energy or whatever you want stripped right. out of it, right? right? Yep. You can cleanse by putting it out in sunlight or moonlight. Mm-hmm. Sunlight in particular is used for essentially burning out energy. Yeah. Okay. So, so if it was a really, like, if it's something heavy and yeah. sticky and... But and there next, are some things you, know. you should not put out. In exactly. Stuff. There exactly. are certain yeah. stones especially that might fade. Um, yeah. And They're, in those cases, people usually put them out in moonlight, yeah. which doesn't have quite the same intensity of effect that sunlight does. It'll, it's reflected sunlight. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It'll do the job, but in my opinion, anything that is going to take sunlight a day of cleansing to do mm-hmm. will take moonlight a solid month. Okay. Yeah, with all of these suggestions, you know, obviously use common sense. If, yeah. if, if it's going to be damaged by what you're using to cleanse it with, then you wouldn't want to do that. So, like, you know, putting my laptop in water wouldn't be right, great. Right, exactly. Squeaky asks, what if you were to wrap the stone in something before putting it in the sun? Uh, you could wrap it in, like, a scarf, mm-hmm. but I would not put it in a box. No. Putting uh-huh. it in a box, I think, would would be too much of a barrier. Yeah, it would be too much of a barrier. Yeah, yeah, of a barrier. Yep. But if you were to wrap it in a few layers of of silk or something that might be okay. Saying that, there's also sacred smokes that you can right. use if you need something intense, but you don't want to put it in the sun. So smoke, so where salt is absorbing and mm-hmm. sunlight is burning. And by the way, going back to salt, after it's absorbed the negativity, mm-hmm. you, you should discard it. it. Yeah. Discard it. And you can also just have like bowls of salt around as well. Yeah, to like, just to it, ab- just to the sort of way you put baking energy. soda in your refrigerator to absorb bad smells. Yep. You can just have like a dish of salt to absorb negativity in your house and just discard it and every just now. To start it away from your property. Just because I want to know, what age did you realize that baking soda was in our freezer and refrigerator to get rid of odor? I was like 23. (laughs) (laughs) I had always just accepted that this was, we just inexplicably kept this in the fridge. (laughs) So so in the way that salt absorbs and sunlight burns, Mm -hmm. smoke purifies. That's right. And there's actually some science been done on this. That's right. Yeah, they did some science about this because... It's actually pretty cool. (laughs) In cultures around the world, there are certain herbs that are burned and Mm -hmm. the smoke is used to purify a space. And sage is one of those. And sage is one of those and there are several others. Lavender. I'm not going to list them all. There are a bunch. But the science that they did on this was on a particular group of herbs, a particular collection of Mm -hmm. herbs that's burned in India. It's not sage, it's something else. They did some science on this and discovered that when you burned these herbs in a closed room and measured the difference between the bacteria in the air before and immediately after Mm -hmm. burning the herbs, the bacterial population in the air was reduced by 99.8%. And it continued to be reduced after the smoke had cleared, as long as the system was kept closed, it continued to be reduced for a week after the smoke had cleared the room. So there are certain smokes that definitely do actually like cleanse cleanse the space of like physical matter, not just spiritual energy. So, so, what, so what you know tradition has understood as uh-huh. smoke as being sacred and cleansing and purifying. Science has confirmed. Science has confirmed. Really, bacteria don't like it much. <laughs> exactly. And some of those things that you can burn would be sage, obviously lavender, cedar, sweet grass, rosemary. Mm-hmm. You know things like that. A bunch. A bunch. There's a, bunch. There's a whole. 
one. That's just a, that's a tiny list. That's what you find at your basic pagan store. Yes. But there's a much greater list. And then there's one other cleansing method that I don't see discussed very often that's often overlooked is sound. Oh, okay. So bells are good for this. Singing bowls can be used for this. And in, especially when you get into like hoodoo, just banging some mm. good old fucking pots and pans around your house is used to break up and scatter yep. negative, negative energy, energy. Or, or bad spirits mm-hmm. and drive them out of a place. I forget who I was talking to. I think it was Oracle from Oracle's Apothecary. Mm-hmm. And she said when she has to deal with negative yeah. energy, she takes a big old pan and, and just food. smack it. Get out of my house. Yes, that's very. That's out of my house. Yes, that's that's, very that's, that's very common in hoodoo and in folk practices. You don't see it discussed much in sort of modern new age or or modern pagan practices. But that's because modern new age and modern pagan, we tend to be a little woo, a little woo. Yeah. Whereas I feel like hoodoo and voodoo and and are very are much more visceral and practical. practical. Yes. What you have is a pot in a pan. You You use that. Use the damn pot. Break up the evil spirit and send it out of your house. That leads us also to sweeping. Yes, you can also sweep things out with a besom. Or your regular broom. Right. Um, Traditionally, it's a besom. Yes. Well, you can use, if you're doing energetic cleansing, Mm -hmm. obviously, you can use your besom and energetically walking around your home, starting at a door, walking around the home or the space that you're clearing, and then sweeping in a clockwise Mm -hmm. motion. You can also, I forget where I read this, but again, I think it's a hoodoo mm-hmm. tradition. You actually sweep the home with your regular broom and then you burn the result. The result. So, so what about tonal cleaning? So you like use... you certain tones, like I know that 432 hertz yes. uh, is the deepest healing sound. Yes. You can get that with some singing bowls. Uh-huh. I can't confirm this because I mm-hmm. haven't tried it, but I don't think that an electronically produced noise would be as effective. What about a tuning fork? Well, no, I would disagree in that I have a friend, uh-huh. a, f- a former guitar player friend, who has a whole series of him playing certain notes on his electric guitar uh-huh. that have that same... Okay, no, here's not, I'm not saying that you couldn't produce those notes with an electric guitar. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm saying a reproduced, like on my on my phone, I don't know, would be as effective as if I had an electric guitar in my house and I was producing that tone. I think if your sound system is good enough to reproduce the tone, that could then be. yes, but on yeah. your phone, no. Exactly, yes. yeah. yeah. I, I think agree with you, that. you need a certain level of clarity in the sound right. for it to be now, effective. Now, 432 hertz, the lower end of the speaking mm-hmm. range, so that you probably could, could fairly easily right. reproduce on, like, computer speakers right. or something like that. It's, it's some of the deeper tones. Right, some of the deeper tones would be an issue because I know that at my age, I can't even hear some of those tones anymore mm-hmm. or some of the higher tones. But mm-hmm. And then I did also want to mention, obviously, fire. You can use candles. You can walk around a home. Yes, you got to be more careful with that one than with the others. Yes, <laughs> yes. Obviously, be smart about it. If you cannot put something out in the sunlight mm-hmm. and you need something burned away quote-unquote, you can light a candle and energetically use that, the light and, and fire of that candle. Use the element of fire. Right. Which is what the candle and Gwen represents. is doing a thing here with her hands that you can't see, but I'm going to describe it to you because I think it's actually an important part of the process. So when you want to cleanse an object with a candle, you do not just light the candle. No. <laughs> you actually surround the object with the candle's light. Mm-hmm. So... Like she was making like a a circle, a circle, like a clockwise circle around an imaginary object. I would also, I would probably try to like surround it in Mm -hmm. like a full sphere, basically to get up above it and down below it, all around it. Yeah. And just focus on the light of that candle Mm -hmm. interpenetrating the object. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for something fancy to do your cleansing with, 
Our tiger Amanda comes bearing salts from Wonderful Body Co. These soaks and scrubs, inspired by popular books and characters, are designed to delight multiple senses. From fragrant scents and sparkling mica, you can also find a small selection of rollerball fragrances with a couple of dozen options available. You're sure to find something you like at Wonderful Body Co. Collection to satisfy even Gwen. Today, we're recommending the Lavender Buttercream Salts. Yay! Find Wonderful Body Co. online at wonderfulbodyco.com or go directly to the shop at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash wonderfulbodyco. You can also get a coupon using the three-pack code 3PACKAT30 for 30% off. That's 3PAAC. AT30 for 30% off at wonderfulbodyco.com. That is an awesome yes, discount. It's an yeah. ex- it's a spectacular it's a discount. Spectacular discount. So everybody, you got to get you some stuff from Wonderful Body Co mm-hmm. and use your discount because we're not getting this stuff is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's exactly. wonderful. It's I love good. it. It's time for Odes Stone Corner. This time, this time, Carr wasn't impressed with Gwen buffing her nails, so she started cleaning her glasses, and that was what got him. So today, uh, I'm going to be discussing Himimorphite, which you've probably never heard of. No. It's not one that you'll find super commonly in, like, a metaphysical store. You're probably going to have to go online to find it, which is unfortunate because it means it's harder to get your hands on a specimen. Or if you have, like, a rock show, you might be able to find it there. But so Hemimorphite is a sorosilicate mineral. It's commonly mined out of zinc and lead ores, and its name comes from the way its crystals are structured because it has dissimilar faces, So, which is a very unusual quality in a crystal. Most, most crystals have similar faces on terminal ends. Mm-hmm. Hemimorphite has a blunt end and a sharp end. The crystals persistently grow in this fashion. Interesting. So like when you see those like long spars with like a sharp edge and like a blunted edge, those mm-hmm. have been cut that way in mm-hmm. most right. crystals, but hemimorphite just grows that way. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it can be hard to tell because it's sometimes it'll grow in the crystal base and then the blunt end mm. will be in the crystal base and so you won't be able to tell that it's Until blunt. It's... But right. Yeah. It is white and blue predominantly, but you'll sometimes get it in a greenish color as well. And it is a Mohs 5, so it's semi-hard, let's say. Uh, And hemimorphite is an interesting stone. I call it a move-forward stone. It's extremely interested in forward progress and maintaining momentum. It doesn't really care what you're moving towards or what the point is or where you're going. It just wants you to be constantly making progress. It's good for projects and personal growth. It's not like a carnelian, which is a real energizing stone and will give you like confidence and energy to go do a thing and like sort of fill you up with fire and passion. Hemimorphite isn't that. It's more of a life coach where it's going to sort of, it'll on the one hand cut through your bullshit and tell you like, I don't care that you don't want to do it. I don't care that you have this anxiety. I don't care about your hesitation. Just go. Stop stopping. Move forward. That's more like a fitness coach. Uh Uh-huh. But then it's also, once you start, it transitions to like a gentle cheerleader mode where it's just like, you're doing great, sweetie. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) So it'll like, it's a very versatile stone that will sort of switch its 
mode, its its operating procedure, depending on whatever will motivate you better at the moment, because it it's purely interested in moving you forward. So Hemimorphite is actually a stone that I suggest pairing with something else that's a little more focused. Okay. Something else that has, if you do know you need a lot of energy to manage a public speaking engagement, right? right. Get a Carnelian and pair it with Hemimorphite, because the Carnelian is just boundless energy with no direction, and the Hemimorphite is going to take that Carnelian's energy and direct it specifically, mm. always, constantly forward. No hesitation, no side ventures, just do the damn thing. So, question for you on that. Answer for you on that. Because it has a blunt end and a sharp end as it's, as it's comes, natural form, as its natural natural form, form. Mm-hmm. would it make a better pendulum than something that's been cut into a pendulum? Ooh, maybe. That's an interesting question. Especially since it cuts through the bullshit. Uh-huh. That's hard for me to answer because I don't I don't do pendulum work. I understand. Well, yes, I would have um, to use it and that's, see. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, my qu- the reason why I'm making this question is I know that you really struggle with pendulum. I so do. <laughs> but hemimorphite might be something could that could be. You yeah, could if use. I if I could find a natural mm-hmm. hemi- an uncut hemimorphite crystal right. in in the right shape, yeah, that's possible. That would be interesting, and it really doesn't have to be a large piece. No, no, it could be a very very, very small, small piece, piece yeah. as long as it's heavy enough mm-hmm. to swing. Yeah. yeah, could be. Yeah, especially given hemimorphites like constant move forward and it's not what i would call a tactful stone it's which, a lump- which exactly. it's, yeah. it's a it's a very like i said it has sort of two operating modes which right. are stop dawdling yeah. and i'm proud of you and it'll switch between those based on whatever is most effective at motivating you at any given moment gotcha. yeah yeah actually it sounds like it would be perfect as a pendulum uh-huh. stone all right so that's it for oats stone corner <laughs> That's just sad. Well, no, no, I'll take it. Exactly, up. yeah. <laughs> oh Rana says... I need three back to tell me what they think about ethically sourced rocks. <laughs> Actually, that question was going on earlier. We're out of Oatstone Corner, but let's still talk about ethically sourced right. rocks because, I mean, that's a big thing that we push. Mm-hmm is knowing where you get your stones yeah. from and that is as important. best you can. As best you can. So, but lots of times it's hard to know. We actually ask. If we go into either Arts and Craft or Geoscapes, mm-hmm. which is the, the big rock, rock shop, shop around us, here, yeah. we ask where they get it. Mm-hmm. I know Geoscapes goes and does rock hunting all winter mm-hmm. out on the West Coast and then brings it all back because they're closed during that time. Yeah. While they're out doing that. Arts and so, Craft has one or two specific vendors. Specific vendors that they work with, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one I know have, is out of Madagascar. Yeah, but they also have verified. Ethical sourcing for all of your tools is super important. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a certain level of nuance to this discussion in that a lot of the stuff that exists currently has already been mined however it was mined right and you can't put it back it just you know it just like is it just exists now in this state however it was originally gotten but at the same time we don't want to be contributing to the market for these things that creates unethical right right mining practices and Mm -hmm. and business practices. And there are so many layers to ethics in mining. There's the very real damage that's done to some of the mines themselves, the the damage that's done to the earth, uh, to the environment. Mining is not a clean process by and large, so it produces large amounts of waste. Are they doing strip mining? Right. And But even aside from that, there are human labor problems in a lot of mines uh, all over the world. Right. A lot of them is actually slave labor. Yes. uh, And some parts of the world it's it's slave labor and some parts of the world it's not technically but it's functionally slave yeah, labor right. sometimes it's prison labor which yep. is essentially slave labor mm-hmm. there are a lot of ethical layers to this that all need to be considered okay so let me ask this question mm-hmm. 
say you can't confirm where your stone came from, mm-hmm. right? Because either you don't know how it was sourced, the people you buy it from doesn't right. know, don't know how it was sourced, but right. it just spoke to you and you purchased the stone. Does it need to be cleansed more or differently than any other stone? I would say cleansing is not the issue no. here. <laughs> the stone may have some of its own layers of trauma, for lack of a better word, sure, yeah. for, due to the conditions it was acquired in. But cleansing, I don't think, is the answer to that. I think... Consecration. No. No? No. Strongly disagree. I think the answer to that is, yeah, you can't cleanse the unethical digging, right. uh, as yeah. Rana would say. You can't cleanse the, the slave labor that went into it, the blood money that went into it. Exactly. What you can do is try to make reparations. You can try to make reparations spiritually to the stone. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't cleanse the stone. I would feed the stone. I would give that stone the things it lacks and try to help it repair from that trauma. And then I would would yeah nurture the stone nurture rana the stone. yes mm-hmm. and then i would do everything in my power to contribute to the legal investigations into those unethical mining practices and into attempts to mm-hmm. resolve those and and make mining more ethical and right I, but, but my question was you don't know how it was sourced so it right exactly it could have been ethical source it could have been unethical source yes but so so first of all my experience with stones is that if you talk to them they'll talk to you mm-hmm. okay So, like, if I pick up a stone that has some kind of trauma in it, it's not a secret. Right. I don't know the details of that, probably. Like, I don't know if it's because there was strip mining or because the mine was run by slaves and it it picked up slave energy or whatever. Like, I don't know that. Mm Mm-hmm. But you can tell when there's something fuzzy. Right, okay. Um, or the stone isn't awake properly. All right, so then I have, this leads me to another question. Okay. Because I'm all into the can questions. I, can I interject really quick? Sure. I still think consecration is a potential because part of consecration is removing past history. So I think you can nurture and heal the history through consecration if that's how you focus consecration. I disagree. We'll agree to disagree on that. Fair enough. Rana asks, are you less likely to bring it home or is it more like a traumatized puppy who needs you? That very much depends on the stone. So some stones, every stone has a spirit, right? But not every stone is accessible to me. The spirit of that stone isn't necessarily reaching out to me, isn't willing to communicate with me. So sometimes that may be a trauma in the stone that it's unwilling to reach out, that Mm -hmm. it's locked up or it's not properly awake. And sometimes stones will reach out to you desperately and say, take me home. I need Mm -hmm. to work with you. You, Mm -hmm. you, you, I need to work with you. And sometimes that's because you need it. And sometimes that's because it needs you. And sometimes it's both. These are reciprocal relationships. Or sometimes it needs you to help it escape. Right. Car, what was your question? question? Rana asked it. Okay. So it was the exact same question, although I wouldn't have used the puppy necessarily. (laughs) It was the exact same question. Then I think that that kind of leads us into consecration would be the next. Because I think um, cleansing and consecration can kind of go together. A lot of people do all of these steps. They do all of them together at the same time. Or or not at all. Right, exactly. Or one. Yeah, these are are all optional. Yeah, that's the the thing. And we said it at the beginning of the episode, and we're reiterating it now it really depends on you and what feels right to you like i said i, I do very little cleansing at all mm-hmm. right. and for con- i don't do any of it yeah right. exactly so that's why i'm asking questions right <laughs> and for consecration there's two reasons for consecration and which is why it can go hand in hand with cleansing is one of those reasons is it can purify the item and then the other is that it it can remove the negative energy or its past history so if it has it so my view of consecration mm-hmm. must be totally different from your view of consecration. 
Because to me, that's cleansing. Anything that purifies something is a cleansing procedure. Mm-hmm. Consecration is a totally different thing about connecting the object to a divine source, mm-hmm. making it sacred. Consecration mm-hmm. is the act of making a thing sacred for mm-hmm. for a divine purpose. So, like, to consecrate something, I would need it to be cleansed first. And then consecrated. And then consecrated mm-hmm. as, like, a separate action. That's fair. Do you do consecrate? Because I know you consecrate things. It depends on the item. It depends on if it is something that I feel needs to be made sacred. Mm -hmm. if it has a sacred purpose. And I guess I do kind of combine if I, like I said, I don't really cleanse my, my tools and things Mm -hmm. that often, which I think is why I kind of cleanse, you know, and consecrate as like a combo pack, as a combo pack, (laughs) which is, you know, whereas I like to have, this is about me as a person. I like to have very clearly defined boundaries. So I'm like, cleansing is one thing. Consecrating is different. Right. Right. So consecration, you could say a prayer or dedicate it to a particular God or Like with my, with my grimoire, Uh I consecrated that book. Mm-hmm. I didn't cleanse it because I didn't feel like it needed to be cleansed, mm-hmm. but I consecrated that book right. for its purpose. Right. And I, you know, I did blood magic on that. So it would be tied to me. Down to you. Yeah. Down to me. Do you, do you have oils that are consecrated that you would then use on a candle for a candle spell? I have not personally consecrated my oils. I do have but a there consecrated are oil. Who do? I, yeah. I have uh, the oil was not formulated by me. Mm-hmm. It's an oil that I purchased from an apothecary. I actually have two, and I consecrated both of them to the same deity because I'm me focused. But so I have two consecrated oils that I use in different ways for different purposes. But they are both mm-hmm. specifically for me. this deity, and I don't use them for anything that's not attached to him. That's fair. And I, I would say I do have a couple of deity oils that are probably consecrated oils that I use for specific purposes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would say when I use an oil to dress a candle, the action of dressing that candle consecrates the oil and the candle as I'm using it. Or okay, as so I, the oil as I'm isn't concentrated it. prior, right. but it's as, part, as of part of the ritual of making the candle... Of it dressing becomes, it. It becomes consecrated all at one point. That's whereas, for me. Whereas for me, the oil is consecrated. Right. So when I apply it to something, then that becomes, consecrates the object right. or the ritual or whatever for yeah. the purpose uh, of the ritual while the oil is And that, again, it. comes down to individual mm-hmm. practice right. and how you view it. Like I said, for me, it's the act of using it which consecrates the oil. Do you oil. use the four elements for consecration? Earth, I fire, do. Water? Yeah. I do. In fact, I, I do have a ritual for consecration. Go through it because mine is super, like, okay. straightforward. And, and it is to the, you know, to the four elements and you would have for north, that would earth. So you'd have salt for east. You'd have air. That would be incense for south. You would have fire. So you'd use a candle and then west you would be water. So you'd right. have a bowl of water. And then basically what you would do is you would light the candle and the incense, and then take whatever it is you're wanting to consecrate, pass it over the salt and while you're facing north, and then say something to the effect of powers of the north, guardians of the earth, I consecrate this object, whatever it is, and charge it in your energy. I purify it this night and make this tool sacred. And then you would do that. you really do every step like in one. Yeah. And then you would do it with, and then you would face the, you would, you know, for air. Face the next cardinal Yeah, you'd go east and you incense, Mm -hmm. say the same thing, but just change it to with air and blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, you would finish something like, I charge this object in the name of, if you have a particular deity or the, the ancients or the elements or whatever. Or, or your, your craft. Your craft. And then just say, I banish any energies of previous owners or things that would conflict with my purpose and call the spirit of this mm-hmm. object to be my ally in the craft. That's fascinating that you just do it all at once. Yeah. 
I have to do each step individually, <laughs> one after the other, in like a specific order. Oh, does X? But let's be honest. You also won't let your food touch. That's true. So That's it true. makes yes. sense that you're I different have, parts of. I have sectioned plates. I'm a casserole kind of woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm like, when just like I can multitask. I'm like, I no, multitask. Each step must be individually partitioned, and there must be like a, a recovery period between each mm-hmm. one. And I, I do, I do tend to when I like I said, I don't do this very often. But when I do bless, mm-hmm. cleanse, you consecrate, whatever, in. I do it with the elements, right. and that is that is what I use. Right. So you don't consecrate to deities. Yep. I guess it's time for cars feast table. Cars feast table. So I tried to find something that was specifically consecrationy. Okay. And I couldn't. Okay. So, what I did is I went to my favorite website to buy bizarre ingredients from. Which, which is? Which is chefshop.com. Okay. I absolutely love this place. I've bought very little from it over the years, but I have drooled over <laughs> all of it. You've showed me a lot from that site. That's for true. years. That's true. In the last year or so, started adding recipes. So, I decided I would grab a recipe from my favorite website, okay. Chef Shop. So, here it is. It is cocoa curry rubbed chicken salad. Holy crap. So, your ingredients are... He got are... his alliteration in that. He did, yeah. <laughs> The ingredients are six free-range chicken breasts, rice bran oil, mm-hmm. ground cumin, curry powder, fine sea salt, okay. black pepper freshly ground, Ooh. cocoa powder, and then one pound of fresh locally grown salad greens. What? <laughs> I like how the recipe <laughs> specifies it must be locally grown yeah, salad yeah. greens. Oh, yeah. That's an important thing. Three quarters of a cup of EVOO, or extra virgin olive mm-hmm. oil. Yes, thank you, Rachel Ray. EVOO. <laughs> <laughs> a quarter cup of sparkling wine vinegar. Okay. And then sea salt, black pepper to taste afterwards. So what you're going to do is you're going to preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Okay. You're going to place the cumin, the curry powder, the sea salt, the pepper, and the cocoa powder in a blender or food processor and blend it until it's completely finely ground. Okay. So you're creating a kind of spicy blend. Correct. Okay. Yep. And then you're going to rub your chicken breasts with your rice bran oil and then the ground spices until it's evenly covered. Then you're going to, any remaining rub can be stored in a cool dry place. Okay. You're going to place those breasts on an oiled baking sheet and bake at 350 degrees for 20 to 25 minutes or until done. And you're going to cover them and let them cool. We okay. have a question over here wanting to know if it could be done with the seafood alternative. Uh, sure. Doesn't have to be chicken. You can do it with whatever you want. Maybe shrimp. Shrimp, yeah. Oh, shrimp would be actually really good, especially <laughs> if you got some like mm. like number eights. Yeah. Or yeah. larger. Or then, some kind of a yeah. whitefish too. Yeah. Could be I'm really not a seafood person, so I will stick with chicken. Shrimp or whitefish of some so, kind. Here is what I would suggest for your salad. Okay. Butterhead lettuce, mm. arugula kale, spinach, and Swiss chard. That does sound good. Okay. Okay. It's going to be a little bitter with the kale. And Swiss chard, but trust me, I'm going to offset that. Sometimes having a little bitter is good. I'm going to offset that by having homemade honey Dijon vinaigrette. Mm. Mmm. specialty. (laughs) Which is a quarter of a cup of EVOO, three tablespoons of honey, two tablespoons of white wine vinegar, one tablespoon of Dijon mustard, one tablespoon of minced Vidalia onion. Ooh. And a quarter of a teaspoon of sea salt. I've had this dressing, y'all. It's really good. And then you're going to whisk all the above ingredients together until they're well combined. And you're going to pour them all into a jar to save because it will keep for a couple of weeks. 
Except that it will not last that long. It never has in our home. And obviously you keep it in the fridge. Right. Um, and then you can adjust the vinegar and the honey kind of to suit your taste. This mm -hmm, is kind of mm -hmm. the recipe that I follow. This one comes out of my head. So then you basically take all of your salad greens mm -hmm. and the honey Dijon and you mix that all together. Mm -hmm. And then you slice the chicken and you lay the chicken over on the, the salad top of the, on, the, on top of the salad. Yep. Yummy. And that's it. That is your cocoa curry rubbed chicken salad. I like it. Excellent. That's very nice. You're very welcome. Good job. Okay. Right. Now we're going to talk. On. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about charging. That's right. Which is another thing that no one ever fucking explains. No, <laughs> really. Took me really ages don't. to figure out what people were talking about. Well, I know that my definition of charging would be empowering the object or, or whatever it is with your energy and aligning with the spirit to, uh, of that object and asking it to be an ally with you in the craft. That's for me. That's yeah. Yeah. I, mean. I would say that charging is, yeah, it's, it's the transfer of your energy, usually plus your intention into an object mm -hmm. instead of using the object's sort of native energy. Right. Exactly. Although it can also, you can arrange to transfer, to be a conduit between the energy of something else to the energy of the object. So mm -hmm. to, rather than using your personal energy to charge an object, you could use the energy of the sun. So yep. you train, you absorb the energy of the sun and you translate that through your energy mm -hmm. system into the object so that it picks up your right. energy tone and your right. intention and sort of your spiritual essence mm -hmm. and transfer that into the stone if you need a lot of power and don't have enough personal energy to spare mm -hmm. let's say mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah but otherwise yeah that's for me it's about creating an ally right with whether it's a plant or it's an an object you know i i work with that that spirit that energy and create an ally in my craft so dressing a candle would be charging it mm -hmm. as yes. well as consecrating consecrating it and because charging. you're doing that oil uh -huh. see these so, are but, separate things for right, me yeah right, these exactly. are so things. so when i do a candle spell loki it's loki that's who my that's who my that's who my two charged oils are for, that's for loki the boss so so when i uh am doing a candle spell and i want loki involved in it or it's for loki or whatever right i get the candle my candles don't need to be cleansed because i only ever use them for one thing mm -hmm. right so i charge the candle by yep. putting my personal energy and intention into it. And then separately, I consecrate it with the oil. So those are two separate, like, tasks for me. Yeah, for right. me, it's all, as I'm putting the oil in, I am I am both consecrating, and I am charging. charging, and the whole, it all goes in at the same time when I'm dressing a candle. We also talked about using the sun and the moon to cleanse. Yes. Yep. And but you can also use, use the sun charge. and the moon to, to charge. charge. Yes, right. And some Especially people... the full moon is a very good for... And, uh, like a noontime and, sun. Mm -hmm, and a noontime uh, sun. And some people will actually just put out their stuff to cleanse and charge simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Like they'll put it out in the sun and take it back when it's been cleansed and charged, charged. by right. the sun. Yep. I think it's it's possible to set that up mm -hmm. so that you, like your contribution isn't necessary. But I would say you have to sort of put in place uh, an energy framework to make that usable energy, to mm -hmm. make that accessible energy mm -hmm. instead of having the crystal just absorb it. Right. Right. And integrate it into itself. 
as with all of these things, it's really up to the practitioner and what's comfortable. Like, you know, we have two very different approaches right. to all of these practices. They're all still doing the same thing. It's just, oh, does sort them of. in, well, no, they're all the same thing. They're just in. Well, well, I, I say sort of because you frame charging as the act of creating an ally, right? Mm-hmm. For me, the thing already has a spirit, so it, it is already an ally. Mm-hmm. Like, everything is already a spirit. Right. I don't have to do anything. I may be waking it up more if it's mm-hmm. like a, a latent spirit, or I may be empowering it if it's a spirit that doesn't have a lot of uh, energy to, to bring to the proceedings on its own. Mm-hmm. But, like, I'm not creating an ally. Mm-hmm. I'm transferring energy. That's purely right. what charging is for me, is the transfer of energy from point A to point B. Right. Or for, from point C to point yeah. A so to point for me, B. And, and it may be different for, you know, other people. Right. For me, it is the creation of an ally. Right. I don't necessarily cleanse <laughs> but I always charge. If I if it's an object that is going to be working with me, and I'm going to be using it in the work. Right. That, right. I'm just that saying like that's my, my ally, my partner. If you right. Will. That that would be the, the distinction, mm-hmm. I guess, is that I don't like unless it's a permanent tool. Mm-hmm. But even then, like when I acquire my stones that mm-hmm. I have, I consider all of those allies and I didn't have, right. to, have to do anything special for that. They just like this they I agreed think, to come home with me. So yeah. they're allies. <laughs> this, I think, just comes down to training. This was how I was trained. Right. Well, yeah. and, and I'm much more of an animist yeah. than you are. Yeah. So. So that's Although I'm, I'm sure also more contributing and more into more of a you know of an animist I framework. Would still call myself a soft yeah animist. People also dance, chant. I was and just going to yeah. say that like, to raise energy, to raise energy, yes. and then pour it into something. Yeah, yep. I was just going to bring that up because okay. that is something that you can do if you are not relying on something like the sun or the moon. You can you can dance and mm-hmm. raise your own energy or raise the energy around the object. You can um, meditate. As you were mentioning, what are some other activities? Just any uh, kind so of anything that's going to chanting. chanting. Chanting helps to bring up energy. Um, I find that it is easier in general to raise energy, to raise personal energy, right? When you are in a mild trance state. state. So mm-hmm. anything that contributes to a mild trance state, which is drumming, dancing, drumming, chanting, rocking back and forth, mm-hmm. rhythmic activity rhythmic in general yeah. uh, will, will induce mild trance states if you're susceptible to it and makes it easier to raise energy. Mm-hmm. And then the process of raising energy is sort of difficult to describe, but mm-hmm. it's essentially, it's partly physical and partly spiritual. Yeah. So. It's something that I definitely feel in my body when mm-hmm. energy is raised. Mm-hmm. I feel a little tingly and sort of simultaneously heavy and lighter. I I would look at it, at least for me, I would describe it as when I hear a really amazing piece of music that really speaks to my soul, my spirit, and I get this 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 full like full swelling feeling, swelling feeling within my whole body, in my emotions, my everything, every part of me just is lifted up and that and is raising energy. So listening to music can also do this. Yeah. And then when you've, when you've gotten that heightened level of energy intensity in your soul body complex, let's mm-hmm, say, mm-hmm. Um, when you've achieved that heightened level of energy, it's a matter of funneling it yep. into a purpose. Into the, into, so into, the, into the object, into the usually object. in this case. So like if, and I do this the other way around too. So I have my, I, I have stones that I don't charge. They charge me. Right. So right. my carnelian, which I bring with me every time I go to an event because I find them exhausting, mm-hmm. there's a, 
just a little regular meditation I do. I call mm -hmm. it feeding the fire where I do a meditation and the carnelian, because it's boundlessly energetic, just feeds energy mm -hmm. directly from itself into me mm -hmm. so that I can re-energize and have enough to keep going for Could the rest of the day. you then also use your carnelian to energize another tool? Yes. Yes. I absolutely could. That, and it. that's... Yes. Exactly. Yep. You can do that. And I wanted to add to, I think for me, like, you know, this idea of charging and creating an ally, it can be for me as instantaneous as picking up a stone and sensing the energy or the spirit of that stone. And basically in that moment, asking if it, it will work with me. And it says, yes, done. <laughs> See, I don't think of that as charging. See, I think me, of charging, charging. I think of charging as going through the process of raising energy in mm -hmm. one way or another, yeah. or accessing energy in one way or another, and transferring it, and like me, consciously just... and intentionally. And there's a permanence, I think, yeah. to charging that mm -hmm. there isn't to just communicating. Right. So, like when I communicate with my carnelian, that's different than when I, mm -hmm. I am being charged by my carnelian. Mm -hmm. And I would I would agree with that in certain situations for me. <laughs> And for me, again, it, it depends on what it is I'm interacting with mm -hmm. and the purpose of the charging Yeah, with my grimoire. That was a ritual. That was a definite charging mm -hmm. and consecration and the whole act. All in one. All in one. Right. Yes. <laughs> it was also very ritual. Right. Right. For me. Right. It's time for Gwyn's Garden Gems. What I'm going to be talking about today is dill. And the, the, what I put on my eggs Yes, dill. I love dill. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and um, I got the idea because I just recently purchased a book at Arts and Craft. It's called Plant Magic by Sandra Kynes. And it is a year of green wisdom for pagans and Wiccans. And what I like about this is it goes by month. And so therefore it's going by growing season. And so dill is, is something that you would grow in the summer. It's a June through August kind of plant. Dill or dill weed or dilly. Or garden dill, also meeting house seed. Its official name is actually Anthium gravialis. The thing about dill is that it, it grows very easily and it grows very well as long as you have it in well-drained, slightly acidic soil. You do want to make sure your ground is well fertilized. And you sow the seeds directly into the ground where you want them to grow. The thing that you have to remember about dillweed when you're growing it is it does not like to be transplanted. It does not tolerate being moved. Okay. So either... So it, it needs a permanent location. It needs a permanent location. You can grow it in a pot inside, but it has to be in a place where you know it's going to get full sun and will be well drained. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're going to grow it outside, plant it and, and don't move, move it. <laughs> because it won't like that. Otherwise, it's it's uh, it's relatively easy to grow. It does need full sunlight. You also want to make sure it's sheltered from strong winds because it, it is kind of delicate, the the stems itself, because they can get very tall. They can get up to three feet tall, and it has a hollow stem. I had stem. no idea Dill got that tall. Yeah. It, it has a hollow stem, so the winds uh -huh. can, can really mess with it. The leaves are ferny and thread-like mm -hmm. and bluish-green. And then it has yellow flowers that bloom probably mid to late summer. And then, of course, the little oval seeds are flat and ribbed. It looks very similar to fennel. And um, the way you tell them apart is that dill has one stem, whereas fennel has multiple stems. The interesting thing is this wonderful herb not only is delicious on your eggs. On and, eggs and, and, and potatoes. And, and potatoes and, and many other fish. culinary delights. It also magically 
You can use it to attract romance. You can put a little bit of dill oil or, you know, some mm-hmm. of the, yeah, the yeah. leaves or the flowers, whatever, into dill a bath bits. to attract romance. You can dispel bad dreams by putting a sprig of dill under your pillowcase or above your bed. You can also do the same thing uh, to protect a child. You can put the dill sprig above the child's bed. You can also, for protection, put it above the front door. You can dispel jealousy by wearing dill seed as a talisman to keep harmful or hateful people away. You can use dill essential oil for emotional balance as well as mental balance by inhaling it. Mm. Um, And you can do that either by putting it on a cloth and just inhaling it, or you can put it on your skin and then inhale it that way. Can I just smell the dill on my potatoes? Yes, you can do that too. (laughs) Um, You can also use dill for love, romance, and lust spells. You can use any part of the plant to make a charm, and you can add sprigs of dill or dill seed or however you want to use it uh, to a potion that is drinkable. Dill is DTF, y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can also use dill tea in tea. You make a tea out mm-hmm. of the dill. Gastrointestinal. intestinal upset, you know, things like that. So it, it's got a lot of medicinal purposes. It's good for culinary purposes. And it's got a lot of magical uses. So if you are not growing dill... You probably should. If you have a space where you'll if never you have, have to move it. you have a space where you never have to move because it does not like to be moved. Or you can use the dill that you have in your your kitchen cupboard. Kitchen witches, go for it. That's it for Gwen's Garden Gems. And in keeping with that, our tiger Michelle invites you to her shop where she showcases some hand-painted and carved sugar skull eggshells. That's right. For the world to enjoy, each piece is handcrafted and unique with a name and a style all its own and a desire to find a happy home with you. Every egg comes with a special box adorned with a note about the creation. She also makes natural eggs, beautiful hand-painted rockery, and jewelry to share. As well as the sugar skulls, Michelle has designed an acorn egg, which just happens to be one of the most popular eggs she makes. Adorned with lentils and wood beads and hamper leather hangings, visit the Artful Egg at theartfulegg.net. Squeaky asks down to food, and yes, could be down to food, but also, you know what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> Tuning. Yes. So this was, uh, it's actually a good thing Justin is in a place where he can type now. Because he's the one who asked the question. Yes, Justin specifically (laughs) asked if we would talk about what I mean when I talk about tuning or programming a crystal. That's right. Tuning is actually a little different from charging. It's sometimes presented as a very similar phenomenon, but it has a different function. And at least for me, although as we've been discovering this episode, (laughs) I do things in a very structured way that other people might do in a more lackadaisical or multitasking way. I'm, I'm more fruit salad, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, when it comes to uh, consecration and I'm dedication. Like, first we eat the there. grapes. <laughs> then we eat the orange slices. <laughs> then the cherries. Yep. God, fruit, fruit cocktail must suck for you. You have to pick up yep. all the Yes, I do eat each yes. piece of fruit cocktail yes. individually. Like I said, when I was a child, it was a disaster. My, my food fruit can salad. all touch, but I do eat. I eat each section. Eat each yeah. section at a I don't eat it all together. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just kind I'm, of a, I'm a... When I have dinner, I must eat all my green beans, and then I can eat my potatoes, and then I can have my chicken. <laughs> right. But yours can't touch. It can't touch yeah. either. No. Mine's so, okay if it touches, right. and if I get a pea or two in mashed potatoes, I'm not going to have a conniption. But... I cannot. If the peas touch the mashed potatoes, the piece of the mashed potatoes and those two peas are forbidden to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Obviously, these things affect how you do your magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you do magic in a very, very structured, structured way. 
I'm a little more chaotic <laughs> in how I do my magic. So the distinction I make between charging and tuning may not be relevant to everyone, but it's relevant to me. So we're going to discuss them it. here as separate subjects. Go for it. I've talked before about uh, some crystals, particularly quartz, being tunable mm-hmm. and other crystals being tunable to greater or lesser degrees. Crystals right. that do multiple things so you can tune them to focus on one thing or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'll also see people talk about crystals being programmable. Right. By which they mean essentially the same thing as I mean by tuning, but they're just using a different word. Different. Well, programming actually implies like a slightly different framework for the universe than the one I have. Mm-hmm. Because for me, it's all spirits. Programming, you're implying... Computer. Yeah, well, well you're it's implying more energy, don't you think? Well, it's a it's energy, but it's a specific sort of mental framework for energy where it's like I'm manipulating my environment. Right, right. Whereas I as an animist am more like I'm communicating with the spirit. And to be fair, there is a there are I used to be that way. Mm-hmm. I'm much more of an animist now than I used to be, but there are a lot of people who, right. who, who operate function the, that who way. Function that way. That's how they they view the world and that's right. how they as operate. like a great big system that you just manipulate that, the pieces exactly. of. Exactly. And that's a fine way. It's just not like I don't have it's a personal just, yeah. connection to that understanding of the universe. But that's what people generally mean when they say programmable, right. is that they're talking about like a systematic universe that you can sort of manipulate the elements of. I use tunable because I'm talking more about spirits that I'm going to mm-hmm. try and shift yeah. into different Become directions. attuned with. Exactly. So where charging is imbuing something with energy, mm-hmm. tuning is specializing the mm-hmm. energy that's already native to the thing mm-hmm. to a specific purpose. And I would say we are in agreement on this. Yeah. And it's specifically useful mostly when you have something that has a very broad band energy. Mm-hmm. So like quartz, quartz can do... Rana says, they agree! Yay! Yes! Hooray! It's a celebration. <laughs> um, it's so rare that we come to these points where we both... <laughs> Agree on something. So, but like quartz has a very, what I call a broadband energy spectrum. Right. Where it can do a lot of things and it doesn't have like a strong preference for any one thing over the rest. If you have a new quartz that you've never communicated with before, learning, it's not going to come to you probably with preferences. It's probably going to come to you essentially clear and Mm -hmm. it'll just do whatever. Right. That you ask it to do in any given moment. Right. But... If you, and that's fine, you can keep a quartz in that state if that's like gonna be your only piece of quartz and you want it to be able to multitask. Right. But because its energy is spread across that sort of wide spectrum, it's not a specialist in anything. Right. So if you're gonna pick up multiple pieces of quartz Mm -hmm. and you want each one to do something specific, Mm -hmm. you can tune each individual quartz specimen to prefer a specific thing. Mm-hmm. And that narrows the focus of its energy so it has a more intense result. So right. it has a more intense effect on that subject. Mm-hmm. So you could have a quartz that you tune to focus on healing, and then it will do healing better than any of your other quartzes will because it's focused its whole attention, mm-hmm. all of the energy it has available to it, because quartzes in general have a lot of energy availability. Right. It'll focus all of its energy into healing instead of keeping its energy sort of diffusely spread amongst various subjects. Right. I do tuning partly just by literally talking to a rock right. because I'm that person. Mm-hmm. Same. And if you are practiced with moving energy, you can extend your spirit essentially a little bit to the stone and tune yourself to that subject, mm-hmm. right? Tune yourself to that intention. Mm-hmm. So I would like, there's a specific feeling my soul body complex acquires when I'm doing healing work. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted to tune a quartz to focus on healing, 
I would go through the process of preparing for a healing spell, essentially, mm-hmm. for to do healing magic, to petition the various healers, right. divine and otherwise. And I would build up that kind of energy, that feeling in my spirit, and then I would extend my spirit to the quartz and say this. This is what I need you to do. I need you to focus on this kind of energy. I need you to, when I come to you, this is where I need to be. And I need you to help me get here. Mm -hmm. This is what I always need. This is the person I need to be when I come to you. This is healing. This is what it looks like and feels like and does. Mm -hmm. So I would essentially imprint that, Mm -hmm. the the whole body experience of that, of Mm -hmm. healing into that quartz. And quartzes are very good at remembering things, Mm -hmm. which is why it's possible to sort of tune a quartz accidentally if you just like constantly use it for one thing or another, rather than using it for a variety of things. If you use your quartz consistently for X, your quartz will just sort of pick that up, which is why it's actually possible to sort of muddy a quartz. Mm -hmm. So like if you constantly fiddle with your quartz when you feel bad, your quartz will pick up on bad feel Mm -hmm. and it will just acquire badness. And that's usually when you need to cleanse a quartz right? because it's picked up programming you didn't intend it to. It's Mm -hmm. it's picked up a habit essentially that you didn't intend for it to pick up. But so you sort of imprint that feeling, that whole body experience to the quartz and say, I need to be this when I work with you. Mm -hmm. And because quartzes are very good at memory and because they have a lot of energy availability, every time you go to that quartz in the future, once it's been tuned for that, it will not only be itself factored for healing, but it'll reach out to you and sort of tweak you into that modus operandi. It's, again, it's reciprocal relationship between you and the stone. It's not just like you telling the stone, do this. Right. This is your job, although that's part of it. It's also the stone reaching back to you and saying, this is the job you gave me, get into position. Like, it's time to do it now. You came to me, you told me to do this, now we're doing it. I don't work with stones as much as you do. Right. So but I you could have... do this with plants probably yeah, I too. Do. I'm that's sure there are was... some tunable plants. That's what I was going to say. I do do that with plants um, if I have a specific need. Because the one thing you may have noticed what, as I talk about all these different plants is that they usually they all have multiple functions. You can use them in a variety of mm-hmm. ways. If I'm, I'm going to say to my lavender, I will ask it to operate and work with me as an ally in a specific, in a specific manner mm-hmm. for that particular, for that need. Mm-hmm. But I may come to it at another time and say, I need you to do this for me, mm-hmm. you know, because it has this list of different it has, things. It right. Can it do. has these, these various yeah interests right as i would call them <laughs> right so i might go to the plant or the you know the the plant matter that i have in my apothecary and as i'm working the spell as i'm creating the mix or whatever i'm doing with it mm-hmm. i will ask the individual components you know what their particular part is in the spell mm-hmm. and for me that's tuning that yeah to that individual intention so what you guys are saying is that Tuning a plant and tuning a rock is different than tuning a fish. Oh, you are so bad, Mr. Ario Speedwagon, but thank you for working in there. <laughs> Justin asks, can you tune non-stones in a similar way, such as a piece of jewelry? Hmm. Yes, um, because, well, I'm an animist, so everything has a spirit. Yep. It depends on, like, what energy availability that piece of jewelry has. Older jewelry tends to have more mm-hmm. energy availability because it's had more time to grow into a spirit of its mm-hmm. own. Um, so heirloom jewelry in particular. And then, of course, as I believe that's how you create a charm or a talisman. Yeah. Well, it's a combination yeah, of tuning, combination consecrating, of, yeah, and charging. Exactly. But yeah. So if you have um, especially a piece of old jewelry or a piece of jewelry that has like significance to you or that was created. Significant energy from an ancestor. Right. 
um, or that was created by uh, certain kinds of craftsmen. Mm-hmm. Some craftsmen are able to sort of awaken a spirit. Mm-hmm. Or if you just have a piece of jewelry that you're very attached to and you're comfortable enough with the process of awakening a spirit mm-hmm. to wake up whatever is latently in that jewelry. Yeah, uh, and then sort of get to know the spirit of that piece, find out what its energy availability and its natural interests are. If it doesn't ha- already have a specific interest, then yeah, you can tune it the same way you would tune a stone or a plant or whatever. Mm-hmm. The same way you tune any spirit to right. to focus on a specific thing for you. Although sometimes you'll get stones or jewelry or whatever that refuses, like, that should hypothetically be tunable, but it doesn't want to do X. So, like, right. I have two pieces of Labradorite, and... One of them works with me when I do divination, and one of them purely does dream work. Right. And they do not cross the streams. They will refuse to do each other's jobs, essentially. I set them... When I got my second piece of Labradorite, I set them together and told them to decide who was doing what, and they did, and they have refused ever since that moment to swap swap their jobs. So they have opinions. (laughs) So my my question would be, if you got like a new ring, Uh would it be more tunable? At that point, because it doesn't really have a already built up spirit. If, if, if its spirit is still very young. Mm-hmm. If your spirit yeah, is still I very would, young. Yeah, if you, so <laughs> this is a, I, I would consider almost raising a spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you would do it the same way that you would tune a spirit. But I would just be more gentle about it because the spirit probably doesn't have strong opinions of its own yet. Right. Because yeah. it's very new and fresh and a baby. So I would just, yeah, I would, I would nurture a spirit towards a specific, towards a specific task or interest. If it doesn't have a preference of its own, yep. yeah, you could do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just needed to know. Yep. Yeah. One of those things. <laughs> <laughs> I like when our conversations inspire in you a font of questions. I know, I know. And uh, if you're wondering what you should do with all this energetic work stuff, our Tiger Reel would invite you to look at Relic Designs. Spelled R-E-L-L-I-K Designs. Relic Designs produces wire-wrapped jewelry. Huh. Ha-ha. <laughs> From amethyst points. Hmm. Wrapped in coils of silver to bracelets of braided bronze and silver chainmail links. Real works in all types of metals from copper to titanium and accepts custom commissions. You can find Relic Designs on Facebook at the at sign Relic Designs or on Instagram the at sign Relic Doc Designs. There are a couple of imposter Relic Designs out there, so make sure you get the dots and the spacing right and accept no substitutes. Let me, uh, since we're talking about jewelry, we just talked mm-hmm. about relic for this idea of new, of energy, if you right. want. Okay. So I have two necklaces that I bought. Both are dedicated to Hecate mm-hmm. and both are her symbols. Mm-hmm. Right. One is strictly the Hecate's wheel or the yep. Strophilos, which, is which, which I'm wearing, wearing right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Is, and then I have one that is in a, a key. key with Hecate's wheel in the middle. Now, this one that I'm wearing that is strictly the metal disc, it was machine created, right? right? For me, when I picked it up and as I'm wearing it, it was neutral mm-hmm. when I bought it or when it, when I received it. Right. Because uh, I did buy these both online. And so it was neutral. As I'm wearing it, I'm starting to, you know, it's starting to pick up my own energy. Mm-hmm. And of course, it represents Hecate for me. So right. it's got that um, consecration with it mm-hmm. as well. But the key that has the Hecate's wheel in it, it came with the energy of the of the crafter who made it because she actually crafted it. Mm-hmm. She put the Hecate's wheel into the key with a mold and she, you know, she designed it, she crafted it. And so her energy was a part of that. Right. And that was not something that I felt like needed to be removed. Right. Mm-hmm. Guess what? What? It's time for reviews. Oh my gosh. Yes. 
Okay, so... All right, so we're <laughs> reviewing two items, but from the same people. Yes. That's right. Baba Teddy Zhao and Lady his Kate. wife, yep. Lady Kate Henriette Zhao. So we are reviewing the novel, Absinthe, Alewives, and Alchemy, and the game-slash-divination system, Hexenvelt. Yes. So let us begin with the novel. Yes. I liked the stories of this book. Yep. I described it to Carr earlier as more of an anthology than a novel because it's about the protagonist's sort of progression through uncovering her past and future lives and sort of following the progress of developing a secret recipe, let's say. And the individual stories are interesting. I was sometimes confused about whose story I was in because the transitions are not always clear, which I think is semi-intentional. It makes it more of a mindfuck that way. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of uh, Fight Clubby. Yeah, like, you don't know whether. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's sometimes where you're at and who you're at. Yeah, and... it's sometimes very difficult to tell whose story you're in until like a name happens. And right. that's why I did not really read the book. I did never really could get into it. Mm. I tried. I I read you yeah. know mm-hmm. like the first couple I, of chapters. I loved it. I I didn't it it didn't do anything for me. It, it did not appeal Which to me. Which is weird because that's normally not my kind of book. yeah. I mean, I'm normally like a Tom Clancy, let's yeah, spend 10 yeah. pages on how to build how to, a nuclear device. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so this was very interesting. But yeah, I, I completely dug yeah, the book. Yeah, it just, it just didn't do it for me. I There were definitely some stories uh, that I had a harder time getting into than others. And so like we would transition back and forth between various stories and I'd be like, oh, we're back to this person's story. I don't care. Move on. Please <laughs> just, just get back to the stories I'm interested in. But there were some of the stories that were very, very interesting. And as confusing as it occasionally was, I did enjoy the book. We had, I think, a, a pre-editing copy. Yep. So yep. I'm not going to talk about the grammar and stuff because there were some, it needed a few editing passes, yeah. I think. But aside from the confusion, like it needed maybe a slightly more clarity than it had. Mm-hmm. I would have appreciated slightly more clarity while maintaining sort of the confusion of the timeline that we were in. Mm-hmm. I would have appreciated maybe having a better sense of... Because sometimes, like, I had a hard time telling where... Not just where in time we were and whose story we were in, but like, so like some of these stories involve multiple people and the narrative is sort of a third person omniscient. So mm-hmm. it, it knows everyone's secrets. And I, I almost, I think I would have preferred a tighter narrative lens. Yeah. I think that's the reason I just could not get into this book is yeah, the, the reasons that you stated. Yeah. It was just a little bit all over the place for me. Yeah. It, it never quite caught my attention. And and if it can't catch my attention in the first few chapters, mm-hmm. I'm not going to bother reading the rest. I mean, I will because we're reviewing. Because I, I literally like... Yeah, you were very I, into I it. I read yeah. 10 chapters like in yeah. very little time. I mean, it was yeah. just like, you know... <laughs> uh, and there, yeah. was, there was one other thing that Carr and I talked about earlier, which was that I felt like the, for lack of a better word, main protagonist's mm-hmm. transition through her life was simultaneously... Very, very fast and very, very slow. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, she didn't seem to have any, like, real internal struggle with, like, coming to terms with her identity. She had some external factors to contend with, but no no internal, like, processing really was happening. Or it happened very, very fast in, like, the first three paragraphs. And But simultaneously, it took her a very long time to get to the end of Mm -hmm. the road. Mm -hmm. I don't know. 
something about there, there was a pacing issue there, I think, for me. Mm-hmm. But, I will say this. If it ever gets to an audiobook, I would probably give it another go because mm-hmm. I could just plug it in and be doing other stuff while right. it's multitasking. Well, yeah, I could multitask yeah. with it. But this is not something I'm going to sit down and read because it, ju- it just wasn't grabbing It you. just wasn't grabbing me. I've so already it goes, read it once and probably will read it again. So. <laughs> to pull out more details. Yeah. So, so what would we give this in stars? I'd probably give it a four. Okay. I'd probably give it a three. All right. Two. All right. So, so that's, we'll equalize uh, that to a three. Because I will say, I mean. So, yeah, I yeah. guess it averages out at about a three. Yep. About a three. But then yes, part two also, of this review. Part two of this came yes. out at the same time mm-hmm. is a game slash divinatory device yep. called Hexenveld. Yep. Um, system, yeah. yeah. That we, that we used last night. Yes, mm-hmm. we did. And it is, for me, lack of a better term, amazing. Yeah, it was, it was really, really good. interesting. It was yeah. very interesting. So I liked the this. I wouldn't call it a game. It's it can be more gamified than we did. Yeah, yeah, we um, did it more serious, more divination technique. Yeah. Um, you can put more role playing elements into it. And if we do it again, I probably will start adding in more role playing elements mm-hmm. to it. Probably not more like dice rolling, but right. more just I'll try to draw the two of you into more into your roles. Right, right. So how the game is played is you there is a, a GM, a game master called the Queen Bee in this scenario because the group of players are a hive. It is spelled H-E-X-E-N-W-E-L-D-T, Hexenveld. So so you have a hive, which in this case was Car and Gwen, and Queen Bee, which in this case was me because uh, I was the most skilled diviner who had read the material because Gwen didn't <laughs> Gwen didn't read the game I book. I read the game book. Um, and I did and was completely confused. It was, right. Yeah, it was pretty detailed. Yeah, so, um, so I was the Queen Bee for this session. I quickly sketched out a world, like, here is where we are in the the grand tradition of RPG games everywhere. And Gwyn and Carr each chose roles and they came to the place I had described and they presented questions to the Queen Bee. And we went through a series of divinations Mm -hmm. answering those questions and rolling the dice to see if the answer was yes or no and if the question needed to be expanded or narrowed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... And then I did it with tarot. Um, traditionally, in the game book, uh, it's described as being done with pendulum, but I don't do pendulum, so I did it with tarot. And um, we had actually talked to Lady Kate, and she and said you could she use said any divination could, device. Yeah, she, she said you could use any device. divination device. So uh, for my plate, I used the Vex Vizier that's just part of my part of my public altar, because Vex Vizier is a bind rune for not getting lost, for finding your way. Mm-hmm. So uh, I used that as my plate, and I put cards down on it to divine answers to questions, and we went for two and a half hours mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until uh, questions had been satisfactorily answered. And I thought it was very good. It was very, in the way that we played it yep. or or used the, the game, it really dug very deep mm-hmm. into the issues uh, of what we were, of the like the question that I was asking, and it brought out three or four different threads, threads uh, of that we had to pull on individually. That actually went down into shadow work, mm-hmm. you know, kind of stuff. And it, so it was very yeah, Gwyn intense. Had, Gwyn had a very intense session. It was very in intense. Particular. At, at one point, I was just, like, getting frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Gwyn didn't get the answer she expected or wanted. Mm-hmm. Which is usually the case with divination, <laughs> let's be honest. And, but I really appreciated the process because it forces you to, to dig deeper mm-hmm. and to dive deeper. But what's the real also, question? What's yeah. the real question? But you, I was also allowed to confer with the Queen Bee. Mm-hmm. I was allowed to get, uh, 
to, to confer with to the confer druid with, who was car car in his role. So it was very it was very fascinating. Mm-hmm. It was Rana, and um, it really it did finally get me to an answer mm-hmm. that I'm still chewing on today. Yep. You know, because there were four di- like four different threads yeah. that it left me thinking about, and uh, so I would definitely do it again. Yeah, it was um as the as the queen bee for the scenario, it was it was a slightly draining experience. It's not as draining as doing a run at a fair right. where I see like 15 people in a very short span of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like my my attention and my my divination is bouncing between a lot of different individuals. That's exhausting. Yeah. So this was draining but in a different way because it was essentially a two and a half hour session for you and car, mm-hmm. which is a very long time to spend on um, yeah. On one divination session. Right. But it was, I, at least it seemed as though it was useful for the two of you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I would have called it fun for me, but it was an experience. Well, I think, obviously, I don't know how you felt about right. it. Right. But I think I might use the word enlightening. Yeah, yeah I guess. Yeah. It was um it wasn't actually like the the process of doing the divination wasn't that different from how right. I usually divine mm-hmm. but it put me into a different headspace. Yeah. Right. A- and I actually started about like half an hour into it I started like separating myself mm-hmm. into the queen bee my role as the queen bee as the diviner in the system that. and my role as ode a person. Right. And I would sort of like and as the session went on I pulled myself out into ode less frequently and sank more into being the queen bee. Mm-hmm. And it was a very interesting role to take on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was, I almost felt like I was less empathic as the queen bee. I was more focused on like, this is the answer you've received. Now mm-hmm. sit with that. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And I was It's not my to... job to make you feel good. It's just my job to tell you what's happening. Yeah. I was able to get fairly concise mm-hmm. answers mm-hmm. to my questions. Mm-hmm. Because my question wasn't personal. Right, it was. Related. It, was it was forecasting, three, essentially. It was forecasting, where Gwen's was more personal. personal. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to then ask questions or make statements and that kind of stuff to help Gwen mm-hmm. kind of process some of the information yep. that mm-hmm. she was getting. So yeah. it was interesting. It was, I at and it one was... point thought to myself and almost said something to Ode, it's really interesting to be involved in somebody else's shadow work. Yeah. Because I felt like there was a bit of a like, little bit uh, yeah. shadow work going on. Mm-hmm. and Right there at the table. Right yeah. there at the table. And I was a part of it. You know, mm-hmm. I was. Well, because Gwen would get frustrated, mm-hmm. the Oracle, because that was her role. The Oracle would get frustrated with the answer she'd received. And my role as the Queen Bee is to move the session. So instead of moving to Carr's question, I would ask the Oracle if she wanted to consult the Druid mm-hmm. right. on, on the answer she'd received. Because as the Queen Bee, I had no more to tell her. Right. But I could I could encourage her to speak to the mm-hmm. Druid and to talk her thoughts out that way. And, right. And I don't know if we played the game right, but that's... I don't know, but it was, very, it was very effective, and I would yeah. definitely do effective. it again. But I would definitely say... Dedicate you, some time to yes. it. Dedicate some time to it. It's like Monopoly. You're going to uh-huh. be playing this for a while. For hours. For hours. <laughs> Also, be aware that the type of question you ask is going to change. Is going to change the kind of response that you get. And like as Carr was saying, mine delved very deeply mm-hmm. and became a bit of shadow work, right? And you know, which was good. I needed that, but it it uh, was also very draining, right? 
Uh, and my only other thing, I think, my only other piece of advice, and which I'm going to try to encourage us to do more mm-hmm. if and when we play this in the future, I think it's probably when yeah. yes. probably we play when. this in the future, um, is going to be to sink into your roles yeah. more. I think right. that's what it was. I'm going to try to build... I did more of that, you I did. think. Yeah. But I'm a former D&D player, yeah. so... So so I think in the future, I'm going to spend more time building that scenario, mm-hmm. and right. I'm going to spend more time encouraging you into your roles and asking you more about the people you are in Mm -hmm. this scenario Mm -hmm. instead of letting you be who you are today. Right. Right. Um, Because I think for me as the queen bee, not even as a player, but Mm -hmm. as the, as the game master, that role differential was a very important part of that Mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. Having that queen bee face instead of that owed face was a really interesting, useful separation of my identity. So I'm going to encourage the both of you to do that more Mm -hmm. when we do this in the future, I think. And I think we'll pull out different layers Mm -hmm. of of, uh, processing through that method. It's super interesting. And and one of the things that when I originally talked to Teddy about this Mm -hmm. was that... um, you could incorporate this into other role-playing yep. games. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you could incorporate it into like a D&D adventure. Yeah, you could be playing a D&D. You could be playing a D&D campaign and you go to the mad witch at the edge of the forest and this is how you get information from right. her. Right, like, exactly. You you play a brief Hexenvelt to get information from the witch. Right, like, yeah. So it's uh, so it's so it's super interesting because I think that, you know... Odin and I have talked about for, I don't know, years yeah. now, kind of developing uh, a, a game system a, a game system that would be... A game world, yeah. ...super complex, which is why it's never yeah. actually happened yet. But So it would be interesting to now have something else mm-hmm. to incorporate mm-hmm. into yeah. this, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this like thing the, we're building. I, but yeah, I you could essentially it. make Hexenvelt a mini-game inside of a regular tabletop right. gaming session. And I, I liked it. I liked it how we played it last night or, or used it last night. Yep. I would be interested... To see, you know how yeah how it how it how develops we all, how it develops if we alter how we do it a little bit yeah um I think this has a lot of uh, it's got a lot of potential yeah. I'd say potential. I'd say it's it's a good but challenging experience yes yeah. that I encourage everyone to attempt at least once yes yeah. what I'd exactly. say yeah yeah exactly yeah. You, should, you should definitely try it so I give five stars oh yeah five yeah. stars yeah. across the board for Hexenville yeah yeah De- absolutely yeah Hexenville was uh, very unique and yeah. Uh, helpful. And, yeah. And, and like the book for me, a mindfuck. Yeah. It, it really kind of <laughs> yeah. Like... It was a really, it's a really good thing for me to have in my toolkit now. Yeah. I'm really, really grateful that it exists. And I'm tempted to find ways to pull it into my regular divining practice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Or, because... I don't know if you all have thought of it, but I've actually thought, like, as I'm starting to think about becoming more of a, mm-hmm. a reader who goes mm-hmm. out and, out does, and stuff, does things, yeah. Is how to incorporate some of that into that's what I mean into yeah. into my into, into my professional actual, yeah, divining professional relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so. I'm wondering if there are ways, especially if I'm having clients who are having a difficulty accessing a reading. Right. If yeah. they're if trying to, I'm so, we just played this last night, so I'm still processing. But I would like, I think, to pull some of that role of differential, right. that that scenario creating into. Yeah. My clients who have a hard time accessing the reading or have a hard be, time accessing their emotions. And maybe even, at least for me, incorporating the character sheet portion mm-hmm. into it because it then gives you an idea. Yeah, of what are of, you really yeah. looking yeah. at right Correct. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yep. yep. I think that the character sheet would change pretty much each time you do it. It would, yes. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. you know, as you get better at one thing... You well, and I... So the character sheets that's in the game book uh-huh. includes multiple roles for each thing. Right. I made two game sheets 
right, for the two of you, and mm-hmm. I only gave you one roll per thing, and I right. gave you each different kinds of rolls right. uh, per thing, and then I handed them to you at random. Gotcha. Right. And so next time we do this, I do will make you same. new randomized right. character sheets. Yeah. And I think that forces you to think differently mm-hmm. about the answers you're giving yeah, each yeah, time. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, like we said, that's a definitely a five out of yeah, five. It was Absolutely. spectacular. Definitely. Highly recommend yeah. Hexenvelt. Yeah. So now, exactly. lead us out. That's it for reviews. That was Thank nice. You. And uh, that's it for the show. Yeah, we're done. That's, that's <laughs> we've covered pretty everything. much everything that yep. we can cover. I'm looking here. <laughs> if you want to know anything more about us, you can go to www.thenumber3pagansandacat.com. And uh, that'll have all of the information you need. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can find everything about us there. So that's We're on good. Facebook, Twitter, and all. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. YouTube, pretty much everywhere. Find you can find us. Yep. All right. All right. That's, that's it. That's hit, it. The, hit the button. <laughs> uh, this is that's our it. worst sign-off in a that's while. It. You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Find out more information at www.threepagansandacat.com.